Hey y'all, it's Brawl, and this is the Complete Roller Derby Survival Guide podcast. Um, If you're new to the podcast, this is a podcast exploring the ins and outs of the roller derby world and culture from all perspectives. Um, But this season, it's just me, Brawl, introducing topics that I want to hear more about in roller derby. And then next season, it's going to be interviews with people from across the derby sphere about the same topics that I'm covering in this season. And my plan is to do, um, you know, alternating seasons like this. If I get enough people wanting to interview or like, you know, introduce subjects themselves, like they have topics they want to speak about, I might eliminate the solo episodes or just intersperse them every once in a while. Um, I'm new to podcasting this is a new podcast, so it's going to evolve and morph as time goes on. If you have input on how it should evolve and morph or like tips for me, especially like technologically, what technology wise, um, I would love to hear it, especially if you have like podcasting tips. Um, podcasting is like pretty accessible tech wise, at least if you have devices already. All I did was if you're on video on Patreon, you can see I have this microphone. All I did was buy this USB microphone and I already had headphones because I wear them all the time because I got sensory issues. Also, if you're on video, um, my cats just run through the video all the time. Sorry. Uh, or you're welcome. Anyway, um, You can find the podcast on socials at Derby Survival Guide. If you're interested in being on the podcast or sponsoring the podcast, you can email rollerderbysurvivalguide at gmail.com. I have a bonfire shop up if you want to support the podcast that way. There, as of recording, as of now, when I'm recording this, there is one design up um, and it's based on the roller derby culture um, episode that I recorded. The shirt says, I believe in roller derby. And it has a little tagline that says like roller derby survival guide podcast. Um, so check that out if you want to, if you have ideas for merch or for the pod in general, you can send them to me on socials, or if you're on Patreon, send them to me on there. Um, it's a little easier for me to like converse with you on there. I think, um, yeah, let's let's get to the episode, I think. Um, this episode is going to be about wellness culture and roller derby, the intersection of the two. Um, so trigger warming trigger warning at the top here, um, content warning. There will be talk of dieting, of body size, eating disorders, um, fat phobia or fat bias, and other topics related to diet and wellness culture. Um So if you're not at a place where you can hear stuff like that, maybe save this episode for later. Before we get into what wellness culture is and how it affects derby culture or the sport of roller derby, um, I'm going to go over my identity. And if you're on Patreon watching the video, maybe you can tell, or if you know me in person or you've seen my derby pics, um, my identity in terms of like this topic anyway I'm currently like mid-size to plus size. I would technically be 
I'm classified as overweight on the fucking BMI scale or whatever. Um, but I was quite thin up until more recently. And part of this podcast is definitely going to be informed by the fact that I have experienced differences in the way I've been treated in derby culture and otherwise having a smaller body versus a larger one. And yeah, I just think that's important to acknowledge at the top because it definitely informs my uh, stance and my input on this topic. Um, I also have an experience with eating disorders. I wouldn't say I'm like fully recovered because still they're, I don't know what (laughs) quote unquote full recovery, like people that say like, oh, my eating disorder in the past. I don't know if I just haven't reached that point yet or if that doesn't actually happen. Anyway, (laughs) um, but I mostly have experience with orthorexia and some other variants of eating disorder, um, orthorexia and overexercise are kind of the two things that I deal with the most. Um, yeah, so that's me. Let's get into what wellness culture is. Um, I, oh, I also want to acknowledge that I have been like looking into wellness and diet culture and trying to like remove facets of that from my brain and my thinking for a while now, but especially this year. And then at RollerCon this year, I went to a talk hosted by Melissa Conray. Um, I hope I'm saying her name right. And also, I don't know her derby name. But her Instagram is at simplyme underscore rd. And she's a registered dietitian who works in a hospital. She gave this great talk on wellness culture in Derby. So seeing people's response to that definitely inspired this podcast episode. So I wanted to recognize that. I'll have more resources at the end from like places that I've gotten a lot of this information or just like information in general about, as Melissa's uh, talk was called, a diet culture dropout or wellness culture dropout. Um, Let's talk about what wellness culture is. Wellness culture is just rebranded diet culture. Um, So Chrissy Harrison, who is the author of a few different books that are about unpacking wellness culture, she's also a registered dietitian. Um, She describes wellness culture as, quote, a set of values that equates wellness with moral goodness and... My cat is shoving things off the workbench. So Christy Harrison (laughs) defines wellness culture as, quote, a set of values that equates wellness with moral goodness and posits certain behaviors and a certain type of body as the path to achieving that supposed rectitude. So essentially swapping thin for healthy. In diet culture, it was all about how to be thin and small. And that hasn't necessarily changed with wellness culture, even with the body positivity and body neutrality movements. Usually the terminology is no longer like how, you know, everyone should be thin. It's more like everybody should be healthy, but what they usually mean is thin. Uh, Diet culture is a set of beliefs that values thinness, appearance, and shape above health and well-being. So that helps differentiate the two. Um, 
and I thought I'd throw in another definition while we're here. Anti-fatness or anti-fat bias are the terms that I'm going to try to use in place of fat phobia. And there's a whole reasoning behind that. And if you want more on that, I would go look at Aubrey Borden, Aubrey Gordon, Aubrey Gordon's content. She has a book. Um, I haven't finished it yet, but she describes pretty um, early on in it the difference between saying anti-fatness, anti-fat bias versus fat phobia. But uh, wellness culture assigns morality to body size and to individual life choices. And what I want to recognize here and try to bring into the derby world, other people are obviously already doing this. I'm not like some pioneer in this, but I would like to address that fatness or thinness is a neutral characteristic. They're not a moral standing and obesity is not a disease. And also, I hate the term obese. That's the quote unquote obesity epidemic is not a thing. Um, And I have more resources at the end if you want to get more into that. But I want to focus more on the derby aspect of this. So this is an overview of wellness culture and diet culture shit. Um, Also, lifestyle is not always an individual choice. So assigning morality to it is pretty fucked. Um, We're living in systems and a world that makes choices for us and limits choices for many. So pretending that everybody, everybody can choose to be your definition of healthy is just absurd and unrealistic and very privileged. It's a privileged take to think that everybody should and can be healthy. Um, Something Melissa said in her talk was health is a choice. You can opt in or out of health. It's not required to be a quote unquote healthy person. So I want to recognize that as well. Okay, now that we've established what diet and wellness culture are, um, we also need to recognize that we live in a culture permeated by diet and wellness culture. And I want to talk about and figure out and like continue to do the work that other people are doing and find out how Derby can be a respite from this culture. Um, we're already like this subculture or anti-culture in a lot of senses, but how can we also do that in terms of diet and wellness culture? How is diet and wellness culture playing out in the derby world and how do we combat it and even become anti-wellness culture as a derby culture? Um, Derby is such a cool sport and it's open to so many people with so many different strengths and identities. And I think we should capitalize on that, as I've said in this podcast before, and continue to remove wellness culture from roller derby. I know and I believe, once again, I believe in roller derby and I believe in our culture's ability to do this. Um, Go buy the bonfire shirt if you agree. Um, So I listed out in my notes here some ways that we can try to be anti-wellness culture in derby and so let's go over those and i'm sure there's so many more but if you have more email me and be on the pod next next season please 
Um, so one of the big things we can do is avoid pigeonholing people based on their quote body type. Um, one way we can do that is to assess people's skating style and proven ability instead of being like, oh, your body type is this, therefore you'll be good at this in a derby. Derby does have a place for every body type and body size, but it doesn't mean that we have to say jammers are small and blockers are bigger people. Um, I think a lot of people recognize that, but there's like more to that that we need to unpack as a whole. Um, so for example, I came into Derby as a pretty small person. I'm pretty tall. I'm five, six, five, seven. Um, but I was very thin and like looked fit to a lot of people. Um, and I was very fit. I had, I was over-exercising. That's how I was very small. Um, but a lot of people were like, oh, you should be a jammer because you can like fit through these holes. You can just use your long ass legs and step through these holes with your little body. And while that was like semi true, that was more of like, people wanted me to be this like jukey jammer. And that's just not how I skate. I'm not very jukey. I'm more like low and slow and I spin around blockers sometimes by like leaning on them and my footwork is uh, okay. <laughs> I'm working on it, but I'm definitely not a jukey jammer. And just because I was smaller didn't mean that I should be trained as a jukey jammer because that was not what I was predisposed to be. Also, I'm fucking hypermobile as shit. So <laughs> stomping around, I can pop shit out. You know, it does, it's not really like the safest way for me to skate, to be super jukey and jumping around like that. Um, it's definitely better for me to throw hits and take impact than to like throw my legs around people, if that makes sense. Um, yeah. And then coming back to Derby in 2020, no, 2021, um, I had gained some weight. So I was like a bigger person and I definitely was encouraged more to be a blocker. I was definitely more vocal about the fact that I didn't want to jam 100% of the time. So that was part of the reason that I was allowed to be a blocker. Um, but I also came in with like lower cardio endurance because I had stopped over-exercising. And I feel like if I came in and my body hadn't changed, I potentially would have been told like, no, you should still be a jammer. But because my body looked different, people were like, yeah, you, you can block because you're bigger and solid. I think I would have been just as solid of a blocker when I was smaller because I was just as strong. I, I guess I won't really know because I was at a different level of playing each time, you know, with the two different body sizes. It wasn't like a gradual thing. It was like derby or COVID hit and then I came back with a bigger body than I left with. And I'm sure there's a lot of people who have that experience. Um, so I wonder how their derby journey changed, if at all, in their return post-COVID. So assessing people's skating style and proven ability versus assessing what type of skater they will be based on their body type something I've been trying to put into practice, something I hope more and more people will put into practice. Um, another thing is setting concrete goals and objectives that 
objectives that we know the purpose of instead of arbitrary and like traditional ones. So instead of 27 laps in five minutes, 27 and five, good old 27 and five, which Wifteda has eliminated as a stepping stone or like a level up requirement, which I really appreciate. Um, instead of saying as a league, we want to be able to do 27 and five, let's say we want to work on our endurance by cross training and doing fast laps for five minutes once a week or once a month or whatever, have an endurance practice. And that is what my current league does. I don't think I've been to an endurance practice yet with them. Um, but I have heard people talk about them and it sounds like people are trying to get away from the 27 and five and just say, how many laps can you do if you, if you want to measure how fast you're going or like your endurance, how many laps can you do in a certain amount of time? And that's a way to like compete with yourself over time and see how you've improved instead of having this arbitrary number because I know 27 and 5 comes from somewhere I don't remember the entire evolution of it it used to be 25 and 5 it comes from like this many laps is a mile etc etc but it's not relevant to derby and I think removing things like that that aren't really relevant to the sport are a good call and tend to get us away from wellness culture that's full of like these arbitrary numbers. Um, so if you want to work on speed endurance, like going faster for a longer amount of time, that's great. But also recognizing that 27, and, like this is how 27, how much 27 and five doesn't apply to derby. You're never going to skate five minutes back-to-back -back in a derby game and yeah you could skate up to two and you want to have more endurance than you need right you don't want to feel like overtired at the end of every bout um, so I understand the idea of doing more laps and more time than you anticipate doing in a gameplay scenario but the 27 and 5 is again just arbitrary and also if you're wanting to work on laps and endurance obviously that's great for everybody on the track but what are I think if your league is doing that, you as training or you as a league need to question why. <laughs> um, what type of skater are you trying to reap from that practice? Um, I asked someone whose league is doing that, like that question of like, what are you trying to accomplish by doing 27, like still reinforcing 27 and five? Because jammers are really the ones doing those fast laps continuously and blockers need endurance too for sure especially pivots but like you don't need an entire team of jammers that wouldn't be effective they are literally one person on the track out of five let's let's try to diversify our league you know and the more diverse your league is in every way the better gameplay outcomes you will have so having goals that people can set on their own, I think is good. Like asking people, what is your derby goal right now? If it is endurance, we can work on endurance, but it doesn't have to be 27 and five. I've already kind of touched on this in the pigeonholing section of earlier, but um, if anybody wants to come on the pod and talk about the 
changing body size and abilities through your derby career. I think that's a really interesting topic. Moving on from 27 and 5, I think there are a handful of ways we can be size inclusive as a culture or as individual leagues. And I listed out some that I thought of. If you think of more, let me know. Um, the first one is addressing individual bigotry. So if someone's making fat bias con comments or um, implying things that are fat biased or play into wellness culture, addressing that as a league and having a system to address that that isn't necessarily punitive, but like calls people in instead of necessarily calling them out. People who are being mean should be called out. But sometimes people don't know their own biases and having a system to say, hey, that's not appropriate and allowing people to correct themselves for the first time as a league is great. Um, there's also like systemic and policy things we need to look at as leagues. Um, assessing the written content that your league gives new skaters or your handbook to make sure that there's no, you know, wellness culture bullshit in those. A big thing is marketing representation. I think this is true of every um, type of individual. You want to be representative across your marketing. And I think a lot of leagues kind of naturally end up with that one person who photographs really well or they're a jammer and you end up putting them on all of your media um try to diversify who is ending up in front of a camera maybe do some intentional photo shoots if you can um maybe get an artist on your league to draw skaters or you know use different imagery other than that one generally thin jammer just diversifying who you're putting on posters diversifying who everybody sees but especially new skaters who might see someone like potential new skaters or transfers or you know fresh meat quote unquote um who might see your poster and be like that person looks like me and that means i could play derby and this does not just apply to body size obviously it applies to a lot of different categories like race and you know ethnicity and height even um a big aspect of this it's going to make a big impact on leagues is making sure that their trainers are using body neutral language and the rest of the league should be using that as well but i think making sure trainers are informed on fat biases and making sure they're not using fat bias language um, and they're not pigeonholing people based on body type, etc. Um, trainers and everybody should be able to acknowledge that skaters of different sizes have different experiences culturally and just physically. Um, an example of that would be before I like officially joined my new league, I was dropping in at a practice and it was mostly like very new skaters and we were working on crossovers and both of the trainers were like thinner people with small thighs and they were teaching how to do crossovers. And I saw someone who had thighs that were more like mine, bigger, um, struggling and they did ask some questions and I wasn't the trainer. I wasn't even on the league yet, but I didn't see this being addressed and I don't think it's the fault of the trainers. It's just not part of their experience. So how would they address it? Um, but I raised my hand and was like, we have 
similar thigh size, like similar thigh circumference. And I have to find this like sweet spot when I'm doing my crossovers of getting low enough that my thighs can cross over each other, but standing high enough that I can like, you know, it's derby stance, but it's like maybe slightly modified, especially if your thighs are bigger. Um, people with thin thighs can stand upright and just cross their legs over each other. If you have bigger thighs, you can't do that. Like just physically cannot do that. So addressing differences like that is really important because it eliminates or like alleviates frustration for skaters with different body types than those that are training them. And I think having the dual trainer um, approach of like having a backup trainer or like a secondary trainer is probably super helpful in a lot of these situations because you can have, you know, two trainers that have two different experiences in skating and not that that's always going to be um, helpful in this scenario that I'm pointing out, but, you know, having skaters, having trainers from all backgrounds, all sizes and shapes and abilities, or not, you know, you want higher ability trainers, obviously, but like people who are good at different things, training your league so that your league has a diverse set of skills and a div- diverse knowledge and representation again. Uh, just talking to yourself for like 30 minutes straight is fucking weird, man. I can't wait to interview people instead of just, I feel like I'm just rambling. Anyway, what else can we do to reject wellness and diet culture as a derby culture? Um, I think one of the things we can do is be competitive in positive ways only. Um, don't be one of those people that's like, I can squat lower than anybody here when you're doing your warm-ups. Um, people don't say that, but, you know, they squat with their ass on the ground and they're like looking at everybody else like, why aren't you doing that? It's not cool, but it's also ableist and can be fat phobic as well. And that's not like the only way. I don't, do people know what I'm talking about when I say that? You know, those people that like just are doing skills or something and they are looking around like, look, I can do it better than everybody else. Do you see me? I don't know that, I don't know how to necessarily describe the link between that and like fat bias, but it can be ableist and it can also just like discount people who are still getting to that level. And also not everybody needs to be able to squat with their ass touching the ground. Um, I could potentially do that, but my body's built different than people that just like naturally do that. Like my, when I do squats, I generally elevate my heels because I am calf dominant. So I, if I'm doing a weighted squat, it's pretty much impossible for me to like sink my ass down unless my heels are elevated. People are built different. Like I think just comparing yourself one-on-one to someone who is vastly different than you makes no sense. And that is kind of what wellness culture does is it makes these unfair comparisons between people for no reason. And just don't do that. I don't know. Big way we can reject wellness and diet culture as a derby culture is standing up for your teammates. Even if you're a smaller bodied person and you see fat bias shit happening, stand up for your teammates. Um, don't put all that work on larger body skaters. That's not fun. When you're someone who is moving through the world with a larger body already, you 
you run into so much of that already. You don't want to have to go to derby practice and have to deal with it as well, which is kind of the point of this whole episode. But like, if you see a specific instance of it, um, maybe be the voice of reason or the the anti-wellness culture voice and say, hey, that's not cool to say or do. Let's cut it out. A different topic in terms of rejecting wellness and diet culture as derby culture. Um, I would love to see more and more brands create plus size gear, especially like knee pads. <laughs> Over the last few years, more and more plus size gear has been appearing on websites and shelves, which is amazing, but would love if that could keep happening. That was mostly what I had to say on the subject, at least just talking to myself over here, but um, let me know if you'd like to talk about it next season on the pod. I've already had some interest in this subject, so I'm really excited to hear people's reactions to what I just recorded. Um, Also, with this episode especially, I wanted to put some resources. I'll try to put them in the show notes. Again, I'm still trying to figure out how to like do the podcasting thing. But here are some resources to check out if you're trying to further deconstruct diet and wellness culture and how those things are intertwined in your life. First of all, you can go find Simply Me RD on Instagram. That's Melissa Conray, who is a registered dietitian and did the talk at RollerCon. Um, another podcast to check out is the Maintenance Phase podcast. They're like myth busters of wellness and diet culture. They go through and like... For example, they just did one on Ozempic, which is a weight loss drug, and they like talked about the ramifications and the science behind Ozempic. Um, there's one, I think it's called The Issue with Calories or something like that, that talks about how weight loss is not just calories in, calories out, and talks about the actual science of calories, how calories are determined in a food, etc. Super interesting. Also, one of the hosts of that podcast is Aubrey Gordon. The books that she's written, I'm reading, quote, you just need to lose weight, unquote, right now. Um, But in the beginning of that book, she lists a bunch of other resources and books you can check out. Um, I also love Christy Harrison. She is another registered dietitian who debunks wellness culture. Um, She has books and a podcast. Oh, and I did find an article about phobia and like getting away from using that term, but there's an article on everydayfeminism.com called Three Reasons to Find a Better Term Than Phobia to Describe Oppression by Denaria Monroe, if you'd like to check that out, because I did kind of allude to that earlier in the episode. Um, That's all I have today, so find the pod on socials if you haven't already at Derby Survival Guide on Instagram and TikTok. Email me if you have any questions or want to be on the pod next season. That's rollerderbysurvivalguide at gmail.com. And thanks for listening. Talk to y'all next time. Bye.